Hi, and welcome to the Judaism from Within podcast. I'm Simi Lerner, the podcast dedicated to bringing out the ideas and philosophy of Rav Shumshan of Hirsch to the 21st century. This week, we're really going to get our teeth into how you derive meaning from ritual, from religious ideas. What is the method, the methodology, or more specifically, what is Rav Hirsch's methodology? But this week is a special episode, as it's appearing on the blog of Rabbi Shmuley Phillips. Judaism Reclaimed, and author of the book Judaism Reclaimed, which can be found on Amazon, a book where he tackles theological issues and questions that come about in a modern context, a book that's both relevant to educators, but also to thinking individuals who feel that maybe the answers or the replies that they got about clashes between modernity and religious ideas weren't adequate. He does a really good job at tackling some of the key issues we have in modern times as well as bringing to the forefront ideas from thinkers such as Maimonides. But more specifically for this podcast, he deals with Rav Hirsch in a very thorough and genuine way. What we're going to do is show the lenses of Rav Hirsch, of how he looked at Jewish meaning and Jewish symbol. And our takeaway will hopefully be on two fronts. One, it will bring to life what Rav Hirsch means by symbolism and how that idea is often misunderstood today. But more than that, we'll have an interpretive method that he uses, and we will see it played out in a good example. So let us begin. When people are looking to make different aspects of Jewish law and Jewish commandments meaningful, they look for reasons for the mitzvahs. They look for what's known as tameha mitzvahs. Now they'll go either to a more esoteric view, which will describe how the action affects a certain spiritual reality, or, depending on their disposition, they might be attracted to a philosophical view, how a mitzvah points to a certain philosophical principle or truth. Or if these ideas don't speak to them, they go to the Bali Musa, the ethical teachers of Judaism, and show how the mitzvahs are a calling to their ethical conduct and how they should change. Now enter Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch's approach is to take the mitzvah and put it into a category that transcends all these other categories. It's not so much specifically telling you this or that, it is more of an overall scheme. The reason why I say it transcends these other examples and these other reasons is because it touches what it really means to be human. The language of symbolism is a universal. It's a universal across cultures, across time. And from Rav Hirsch's standpoint, this would be the most appropriate, the most fitting mode of connection, of communication, of changing us as human beings that the Almighty would use. To give an example, to really hit it home maybe, is the example Rav Hirsch brings, and it's so appropriate today, is a handshake. Words are fleeting. The handshake freezes you in time with this individual. You connect, you physically connect. And we truly feel the lack in this day and age of not having that bond, that connection of when you meet a person, there's something lacking, and that will take its cost and its toll on our social relationships. You feel connected to the person. You're giving over the idea of trust, loyalty, equality. All these ideas are embedded in this drama you're for all intents and purposes enacting. You're demonstrating out, you're enacting a moral gesture. It's not simply, you tell him I trust you, or you'll tell him, make sure you trust me. You enact it. This enacting touches what it means to be human. We see this across cultures. This is what Rav Hirsch calls a natural symbol. The beauty about this is it makes Hashem's relationship with us by way of commandments not foreign to our human nature. Hashem is tapping into our human nature. 
Hashem is connecting with us in the way we connect with so many other things. Now, of course, this raises a question. So we've spoken about the power of symbolism, the idea that it's not it reminds you of something. No, it is an attempt to change you. You are making a relationship with Hashem. Once again, the example of a handshake is so apt because it's not only you relating to other people, a handshake is also a good example because it brings to mind, by way of metaphor, our relationship with Hashem. We're using the Torah to connect to Hashem. So the idea of a symbol being more powerful than simply reminding you of something, or it not trying to change you, you need a, a direction of telling you how to change and become a better person. No, no, no. Symbolism transcends that. But we have a question. Yes, this natural symbol of a handshake is powerful, but it's subjective. Different cultures will have different reasons when you have it, the Tyra. What makes it an objective symbol? How can I know the interpretation of what it's trying to tell me as a human being? Now, of course, Rav Hirsch's discord on symbolism is, is, is quite lengthy. But to take one idea to show the objective thread that he flows throughout his ideas, we take the idea of intention. We have this enactment, we have this symbol, we have this mitzvah. What are God's intentions? Now, this is key because this allows Rav Hirsch to say, well, giving the explanation of what the symbol of the Torah is, is not something that's open to everybody. You have to be an expert in Jewish thought, Jewish philosophy, Jewish law, because these ideas are all interconnected. Once you can find or you can ascertain one of God's intentions, and then you can see it embedded in the symbol, it rooted in the halacha, then you can say, that there is an objective presence of this intention in the symbol. To wrap things up with an example and see this thread flow through and maybe give an example of how it can impact our lives, if we know one of God's intentions or a motivation of the Torah is the primary place of action in service of Hashem, over but not at the cost of our thoughts and speculation, for someone to say, well, how do I know that's one of the intentions of the Tyra? Well, the answer to that would be, this is a pretty basic one, because it is a book of commandments about how you should actively live your life. So this by way of speculating an intention of the Tyra, this isn't a stretch. Now, to see this intention come alive in but one example, the tefillin, you act this out. You act this out by putting on the tefillin shel yad first. That's not a, an, an example of someone saying, you must think about the importance of action in your life. No, you act it out. You act out the philosophy. You embed it into your very being by acting it out every morning by putting on your tefillin shel yad first. You then put on the tefillin shel rosh to say that yes, the action comes first, but the tefillin shel rosh comes after. So that moral principle, you're enacting it. You're not just talking about it, studying it, repeating it over. You're acting it out. But just to take this slightly further, in the Tefillin Shal Yad, everything is in one box. For the Tefillin Shal Rosh, it's in separate boxes. Once again, for Rav Hirsch, that mirroring how Hashem wants us to approach the world, when we look at action, it's omni-focused. There is only one thing you do. Your mind can be split. The way you approach ideas, the way you think, your mind can be fragmented and split, but everything comes down to one action. Action, there cannot be one or the other. Action always comes down to one thing. You can change your mind today, you can think about the wrong things today and the right things tomorrow. At the same time, you can have multiple thoughts, but action 
is always one. Now that is a truth. So you not only have an ethical principle by way of Musa embedded there that you're enacting out of the primacy of action, you have a philosophical truth embedded in the actual halacha of the makeup of the tefillin. But this brings out the beauty in the layers of meaning when it comes to symbolism. There's not just one idea. The more you learn, the richer it becomes. Take Seder night, or, or when it comes to Yom Kippur or Tishabov, any action you do that is described as symbolic has a basic meaning. When it comes to the Seder plate, you're not only talking about the story, you're enacting it. So on a very basic, almost child level, you're enriching the story. But the more you appreciate and understand of the ideas that are embedded in the objects, the richer the experience becomes. You live it out both by way of the story, but also by way of the ideas that are embedded there. So it's a constant journey of education, because the more you appreciate, the richer it becomes. Take the shank bone, the bone that represents the carbon Pesach. That can just be something that you think about and you have on the Seder plate to tell over the story and use it as a prop and use it as a part of the story. Or you can think about what it represented. And that is involved in the action, that it was the first commandment the Jewish people received. Ideas that were embedded in the actual commandment, such as freedom, such as individuality, family, choice, religious freedoms. This was the first step they took as religious and free individuals. And you're enacting that out during the Seder table. So for the individual who has it on a basic level, his Seder is enriched. He's not just telling over the story or telling by way of, we had the example earlier, of telling someone an idea in ethics or in Musa. You're enacting it. You're living it. Your entire being is becoming part of the narrative. But for the person who has a richer, more sophisticated understanding, he not only has that, but he also has the philosophy that's embedded there to help that impart that into his person. Not just telling over the story or telling out in abstraction philosophical principles that are important to Judaism. You get that echo of what was important to the people on the ground, what could have been derived by the people on the ground. All those years ago, you are taking part of now. Once again, not that you make a sever, a cut between what happened then and happened now. Now we understand the principles, we understand the philosophy. We don't need the symbol anymore. And this comes from both the orthodox and the non-orthodox camps. From the orthodox camp, it can be, well, I don't need the symbol, obviously, but by way of obedience, I will keep to having the symbol. By obedience to halacha, I will keep to the symbol. Or the reform individual, who will say, well, let's just drop the symbol and keep the philosophy, keep the ethics, keep the principle. No, for Rav Hirsch, it's all one and the same. They're intertwined, they're bound together. And that's what makes symbolism so powerful. Once these ideas are in mind and you live them out, if we can think that we're touching into something what it means to be human, we're demonstrating, we're living it out, not just speaking it out. So to recap these three stages, we first spoke about the nature of symbolism and how I feel it transcends these other examples because it touches what it means to be human and it makes Hashem's commandments not foreign to our nature. They're in line with our nature because they tap into something that is truly human. What I mean by truly human is that animals communicate, they signal, they give over information to each other, but they don't have symbolism. The idea of a symbol is something that is uniquely human. You'll have great apes having hierarchies, but you'll never have the head ape with a special symbol around its neck. The symbolic world is what it means to be human. And Hashem taps into that. Hashem uses that medium because it would be the most appropriate. We then moved on 
to why is it objective? And we gave the example of the formula that Hirsch uses, of the intention. And once the intention is isolated, we can then find that intention in the symbol and know, amongst other things, you won't have the full picture, but amongst other things you can say that that is part of the reason of this symbol. And lastly, we gave the example of the tefillin and how that not only it gave over ethical principles, directive in Musa, but also philosophical truths, truths about our nature, and to connect into those every morning when we live those ideas out when we put on tefillin. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Have a wonderful week.